0: Welcome to Roots of Resilience, on the frontlines of climate justice, a podcast by the Global Forest Coalition.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to Roots of Resilience. I'm Chitirava Vijayakumar, and I will be your host for today. We're going to be journeying into Central Asia, a dynamic and often overlooked part of the world when it comes to the global climate conversation. You know, when we started Roots of Resilience, we have a very, very clear one fact, which is that we wanted to bring you stories that you don't encounter often stories of real solutions to climate change, stories that are buried by the mainstream media in most places. Stories of both struggles as well as victories by local communities and indigenous peoples who are standing up against something as large and overwhelming as the impacts of climate change. Central Asia, characterized by diverse ecosystems and diverse climates, is currently at an environmental crossroads. Temperatures are rising and weather patterns have become increasingly unpredictable. Which means that the region's vulnerabilities to the impacts of climate change are becoming ever more apparent. From the shrinking of the Aral Sea to the thawing of vital glaciers in the Pamir and Tian Shan mountain ranges, the signs of change are unmistakable. So today we're going to be exploring the intricate dance between human activities and the environment in Central Asia. We learn about the impact of rampant mining activities and deforestation on the delicate ecological balance of the region. Most importantly, we will learn about innovative, transformative climate change solutions that have emerged in response to these challenges. We will spotlight local initiatives, regional collaborations, and practices that hold the promise of a more resilient and climate friendly future in Central Asia. Roots of Resilience is more than just a podcast. At its heart, it is a call to action, a call to amplify the voices of the marginalized and a call to unite in our shared mission to protect our planet. And today we're going to be speaking to Elena Kreuzberg, who is somebody who has spent decades working at the forefront of work to protect biodiversity and forests in Central Asia and many, many places beyond. Welcome to the podcast, Elena.
2: Uh thank you very much. Thank you very much Chitira. It's very nice to uh, to be with you today. And uh, perhaps I need to start with introduction of myself. And uh, I would say that I am a professional expert in biodiversity studies and conservation with background in ornithology, bird studies, general zoology. I would say that I know everything about different kinds of animals in many countries and continents because I'm just passionate about studies of animals si- since my childhood. Uh, I'm also knowledgeable about conservation biology because I won in, was involved in the conservation of biodiversity um, all my life. and. Uh, I also had experience in landscape ecology and all this knowledge I use for different kind of uh, pro- projects. I have um, I can say that I have good experience of folk in many countries and different parts of the world, but mostly in Asia, specifically in Central Asia and in some degree in Canada. As I remember myself, I always was involved in a variety of interesting projects and initiatives, including studies of Hubara bastard and other desert bird species in the Bukhara ecocenter of Uzbekistan. um, In preparation of strategy and action plans for snow leopard conservation in Uzbekistan, uh, work with local communities to protect biodiversity in western Tinshani or within key biodiversity areas in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. Uh, the work to protect nature always uh, supposes communication and cooperation with people, very different stakeholders, from ministries and heads of the departments departments responsible for the management of resources, to peasants, farmers, hunters, and fishermen. And, of course, all this work supposes. Um, communication with uh, about problems of nature conservation about surviving for people and animal uh, animals about um knowledge of animals by local communities so uh, this is the major description of my book
0: that in is in my incredible.
2: experience.
0: <laughs> thank you that's incredible because it's it's incredible also to hear from somebody who is an expert in um biodiversity as well uh, alongside working with um people with, with humans um who interact with these ecosystems but also to hear from somebody who is uh who is who who is so deeply acquainted and clearly deeply in love with the non-human uh, of the of the environment as well. Uh, also, I know you are also a, 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 a photographer, Alina. Oh yes, and, uh, <laughs> I wanted to <laughs> because it's, I think uh, one we, of the, it's yeah. one
2: of my hobbies. Yeah. Uh, I would say that I have several hobbies. One of them, <laughs> photography, wildlife photography, mostly. Of course, mm. uh, I'm I make good uh, good photos of plant, animals, landscapes, people mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. in the nature, and mm-hmm. many,
0: many other different uh, different uh, objects. So that's really um, beautiful to hear. And Alina, we've also used some of your incredible photographs in many of GFC's publications. And I think the reason I, I, I particularly um, I remember that is because, you know, it's very difficult to sometimes describe with words, uh, whether it's an article or a podcast or anything about climate change, but a single photograph can really sometimes do the work of uh, 10,000 words because it captures the changes that different ecosystems, biodiverse ecosystems are undergoing now as a result of climate change. I know we were talking a little bit about it before we started recording too, but could you maybe describe for our listeners who have never been to Central Asia or maybe never been to parts of Canada about what does what does the environment there look like? What does life there look like? Um, and and so that we get a sense of how things have been changing because of climate change as well.
2: Uh, I would say that perhaps I will talk about Central Asia because uh, I lived and in, in, worked in Central Asia more than 25 years, and I love this region because this is a very interesting uh, region in many aspects related to uh, people, cultures, um, environment. Uh, and I would say that Central Asia is a political term which uh, appeared just recently, after the collapse of Soviet Union, when five countries, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan, became independent. Uh, sometimes also Afghanistan is included in, in this region, in this political region, but not always, because uh, I think that the countries are very different now. And uh, these uh, uh, countries of former Soviet Union with very different geographic and ecological conditions, economic and cultural settings, and all five countries are landlocked. They do not have access to ocean. The inner seas, Caspian Sea and Aral Sea, in reality, are not seas. They are large lakes. All countries have a very continental climate. It means means that Temperatures can fluctuate in 20 or more degrees just in one day time. For example, the temperature in Kyzylkum or Karakum Desert can be minus 10 degrees of Celsius at night and plus 10 degrees of Celsius or even more in the daytime. So can you imagine such large fluctuations? Most part of the country's territories are flat plains, with desert and semi-deserts and very limited precipitation. Only around 10% of the territories are mountainous areas with very rich biodiversity. For example, plant diversity in Central Asia is more than 5,000 species, including many endemic species. Therefore, the mountains of Central Asia were designated as one of the global biodiversity hotspots. Most part of plant plain area where uh, precipitation is limited do do not have much vegetation and lack forest cover. However, in the mountain forests uh, are present uh, many different vegetation and several unique uh, trees, some of them endemic to the region. Um, Mountain forests, shape specific ecosystem type, uh, typical for um, Central Asia. In deserts also, there are uh, types of arid vegetation, uh, which sometimes also name it as forests, because they're quite dense, but they Uh are highly specialized to survive Uh in the conditions of water shortage. And mm-hmm. I can name uh, such species as haloxylens, for example, or salsola, which in reality are just small bushes, but they, these small bushes form the real uh, the real chaparral, the de- desert forest. Uh, at the country level, the forest cover in Central Asia is estimated from four five percent of the territory to six seven. Uh, Forests create uh, specific landscapes and provide habitats for many wild species endemic and unique to the region. At the the same time, this is a fast-developing region with growing populations, cultural diversity, various natural resources and different political and economic systems. Water deficit is one of the major problems which impact the development of the region. Agricultural activities in many countries depend on irrigation. Fresh water is also needed for communal needs and drinking. Uh, the major climate impact in the region is impact on water resources. So this is impact on agricultural production, food security, and local well-being. The region is well known due to disaster of the Aral Sea when this largest inter-lake in, inter um, provided surviving resources to Krakowpak people, to the whole nation just shrunk and people needed to migrate from their um, historical land to another areas, to cities and towns, for example, in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. The lack of water, Very high level of salinization and mineralization caused the high level of human diseases, loss of source of income, impacted agricultural production. Further development scenarios of Central Asia says that the climate change will impact the water harvest and sharing at the uh, the regional level. Water deficit will be a limiting factor for further development human and animal health, agricultural production, food security, community well-being. So the water, the climate change mostly will impact water resources in the region. And water resources, it's the life in this region. So if you have other questions, I can answer you. Oh, that's that's
0: actually, that's like a really... Bird's Eye View, thank you so much for describing in detail the forests, how the water shortage in the area has been impacting people and uh, biodiversity in the region. Um, So, I mean, like you have spent close to three decades working there. Yes. And um, I continue to work in the region. We work with local communities
2: and we work with local uh, non-governmental organizations uh, yes. Some some of which are members of the Global Forest Coalition. Yes. So people from the region is interested in the uh, development of the cooperation with uh, the like-minded groups uh, from uh-huh. uh, around the world uh, to share experience from the region and to get uh, perhaps uh, some information from other parts of the world, from other countries.
0: Right. So how have these local communities been addressing these challenges? What are some some of the groups maybe that you worked with? What are some communities that you worked with? Are there some particular stories that come to mind?
2: Uh, I would say that uh, it's probably very uh, d- different The region, especially its southern parts, are dependent not only from uh, precipitation, but also from water provided by eternal snows and glaciers in summer season. However, with temperature increase, the glaciers are melting faster. It is expected that they will provide less water for the plain regions, and uh, it can bring the collapse of agriculture in some regions. The acute problems in the region are associated with water sharing between countries, water saving technologies, and adaptation to climate change. There is a need in integrated basic water management. Countries and many national and regional institutions work to solve the problems which require the political agreements at the high level. Communities What what can do communities in such conditions? I think it's mostly adaptation. It's mostly using using of uh, local knowledge, how to uh, save water, how to get harvest, even using limiting resources. So I think that for communities, it's adaptation using their knowledge, existing traditional systems, and perhaps new technologies to to adapt the fast changing in in the environment. And I would say that uh, there are some successful solutions from communities. Perhaps I will continue now. Yes. Yeah. Please go ahead. Or, yes. Okay. For example, uh, in Central Asia, uh, there is transition to plant trees. And this tradition exists from the ancient times. When family just married, the couples plant the fast-growing trees, such as local native poplars, uh, which they use later to build houses for children when these trees will grow up. So it's interesting that children and trees grow up at the same time. And and then children become... uh, Uh, big, become adult, the trees are ready to to build the new houses. The trees are planted uh, mostly planted along roads and near rivers. In many areas in Central Asia, especially in the mountain villages, uh, the local peasants also plant fruit trees. This is a very ancient tradition. In all countries of the region, There are centers of origin for many fruit trees with a very high diversity of genetic forms for different species. For example, walnuts, pistachio, almonds, pomegranates, grapes, cherries, apples, pears, apricots, figs, uh, queens, and many, many other uh, fruit trees. Not only trees, the local villagers keep knowledge of uh, medical plants. Edible and ornamental plants. For example, there are more than 300 species, only onion and, graphic and garlic species in the region. Rhubarbs, to mean more than 70 species of wild tulips growing in the plain areas and in the mountains. Uh, the very beautiful uh, endemic plants, many endemic plants from the region, like desert candles or eremurus. I think uh, they are candidates for the ornamental plants in the future, Um, not only now. Many lily species and many, many other beautiful, beautiful, useful and usable uh, plant species. Uh, The local center of origin for uh, cultural plants have a very long history. Some of them were formed more than 5,000-6,000 years ago there are some of the uh, some of the first center of origin for cultural plants in Central Asia, for example in Turkmenistan area. Local communities still keep secrets for growing of cultural plants. The tradition of orchard, uh, keeping is also very ancient with using of traditional irrigation and water-saving technologies. Uh, during our work on the project, uh, on the sep project in Tajikistan, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, we paid attention that many local farmers are interested in growing of uh, valuable, sometimes vulnerable species of plants, uh, such as uh, which are still growing in the wild ecosystems, but at the same time, they use uh, for production. And this is such plants as cumin, licorice, for example, ferula, and many other ornamental and medical plants. So I would say that people still rely on their uh, adaptation to climate change using wild Uh, wild species and of course protecting wild species of animals which provide also very valuable assets for local communities
0: oh that is incredible and i love how you actually reiterated that you know, these are part of ancient traditions that people have carried on for generations, as opposed to something that was introduced from the outside, um, you know, like a plantation or an offsets project. How these are things that are deeply tied into the culture of the land, which also protects the biodiversity. You mentioned how a lot of times the trees that are planted are vulnerable species and they are cared for. And it's made sure that these, they also thrive in the region. I think that's 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 beautiful, and I think that's something to really uh, remember when we talk about real solutions versus false solutions in the climate change space. This is an incredible way of uh, ensuring that these um, that the techniques used are real and that they support the community. I mean, you were, in fact, the okay. manager of the CPF project, the Critical Ecosystem Partnership Fund, yes, and, yes, uh, sure. and and I think a big part of that was also um, talking about how people, local communities are absolutely critical to protecting biodiversity and protecting forests, yes? Yes, and, yes Absolutely. Yeah, because, yeah and could you tell us a little bit about that because I've, I've read also things uh, that you've written about how gender um, gender justice is also is important when you talk about biodiversity management. Um, gender engagement is is important. So could uh, you tell so- us a little bit about the CEPA project and about these things? Yeah. Uh,
2: thank you. Uh, this is project uh, on uh, the protection of biodiversity in the key biodiversity areas. Which are not formally protected, which are not, for example, specific protected area like nature reserve or sanctuary or something like this. This is uh, just a land which was designated by its value for, bio- for biodiversity, for some endemic and rare species, uh, globally and uh, rare species in the in the region. So uh, the absence of Real protection means that we need to find partners, we need to find safeguards who will keep uh, the uh, protection of the land, protection of rich biodiversity in the region. And what we figured out uh, in two countries uh, where we worked now, in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, is that people is absolutely um excited about their environment That's when incredible. we started when mm-hmm. we started this project we didn't expect that we'll find many supporters but first of all we have very good partners very good uh, partners uh, and members of global forest Co- coalition from the region who initiated uh, communication uh, with local stakeholders who found first of all a very active women in Kyrgyzstan in particular and this woman uh, we, we would say in one year they they build the capacity of the community wow. when uh, yes when we have <laughs> been in 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 the region in September of this year uh, we we found that uh, mostly local groups are led by women, by women, can you imagine uh, can you imagine this for the uh, region where traditionally uh, Muslim countries and in Muslim countries usually uh, men are chiefs of the, of the tribes, chiefs of the community. but in Kyrgyzstan we found that women are very active women. Uh, really shape the conservation initiatives, creating uh, the uh, groups uh, creating local initiative groups working with school children. And uh, we found uh, we we found that during the year, They proposed lots of solutions for the conservation. We met there with more than seven groups, which were established by local communities uh, in different villages, in different areas, which uh, surrounded our um, uh, KBA of interest, Kasansai, in, in the case of Kyrgyzstan, and Narenkol, in the case of Kazakhstan. And again, we found that the project is going different in two countries. When we first time arrived to Kazakhstan last year, uh, we found that only men came, came to our meeting. Because, oh, <laughs> yes, no, no any, uh, no any woman.
1: But this year,
2: but yeah. this year, we found that there are lots of uh, very active women. Uh, who also Ah. created enterprises uh, and interested in the development of local ecotourism in the area. And the area is really very good for the development of ecotourism. So in Kazakhstan, our communities are mostly focused on the development community-based ecotourism. And in Kyrgyzstan, it's more diverse communities. Some of them are interested in recovery, in the restoration of the land damaged by um, uh, golden enterprises. Some of them are interested in the uh, restoration of the uh, damaged riparian forests, the forest growing along the watercourses. Some of them are interested in the development of tourism activities different kind of tourism cultural uh, hus- um, cultural tourism uh, gastronomic tourism and ecotourism so we figure out that the people is very active and not we propose some some something local communities says say us what they want to see on their Absolutely. land and i think that it's very important when people uh, want Uh, want to be the host of their own land and when they propose solutions themselves. Because only in this case, we can expect that we'll have the good results. But of course, we understand that we need more resources to help these startup activities for local communities because uh, often the women and men who live in in local condi- conditions, they do not have uh, resources. They need they need uh, resources, uh, for example, just uh, just uh, to start nursery uh, for plant uh, growing or for for example for medical plants or for trees for trees nurseries. They need resources. For knowledge sharing, for information, for getting information and for trainings, for example, because there is a need in some specific trainings. There is a need in specific technologies which can be applicable for adaptation to climate change in local conditions. And this is very important. This what what should be done further for local communities in these areas. And yes, it's, it's an interesting project and we hope that we'll be able to continue it uh,
0: in the next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's critical that you mentioned, like you mentioned, it's community-led. People come up with, communities from that area come up with the ideas about what they want to do and what is important, which I think is different from most projects that we see, which are implemented top-down where, you know, there's already a plan of what needs to happen and um, and that has been designed by people who live in some other country altogether from a different context. But this is the complete reversal of that process and it's actually, um, uh, it's the story of people taking ownership of their lands. Um, yes, and it's absolutely bottom-up approach, what
2: we figured there that is not top-down. Top-down, it's usually administrative measures. Or it's, again, what we figured out that in Kazakhstan, it was applied top-down approach because our partners firstly communicated with local district administration and local district administration invited only men. But Mm. when our team went themselves to meet with communities, they found initiative women Uh, as well there and uh, in the second year we already meet with more diverse community and we saw that women are present in community and they they are also very active there so it's 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 happened
0: (laughs) this is so beautiful (laughs) and inspiring to hear (laughs) Uh, absolutely because again with something we stress on always is about how we need to make sure that communities have rights over their lands and it's only when they have rights over their land that they're able to make decisions that benefit them and their ecosystems which they know better than anybody else in the world and will always know better than anybody else in the world oh this is just so powerful to hear actual stories oh elita <laughs> that's great You're listening to Roots of Resilience on the Front Lines of Climate Justice, a podcast by the Global Forest
1: Coalition. Thank you so much, Lena, for those reminders about the intimate relationship between humans and the lands that we live on. The connections between the human and the more-than-human world about how important it is to see that to maintain these relationships are very much a part of human rights. And we need to ensure that communities have the rights to their lands, have ownership of their lands, to be able to continue these conversations with their environments. We need to ensure that women and people of other marginalized genders are recognized as the leaders of their communities, as political agents who are at the center of devising and implementing real solutions to climate change. Thank you for
0: listening. Roots of Resilience was produced by the Global Forest Coalition with support from Bread for the World. Our theme music is by the Garifuna Collective with permission from Stone Tree Records. Editing was done by Ismail Wolf and Shatira Vijayakumar. I'm Megan Morrissey. Be sure to join us for more episodes of Roots and Resilience and visit our website at globalforestcoalition.org.